You're listening to the latest preaching from Brixham Community Church. We've been on a series talking about the belt of truth. Really felt as a leadership team it was important that we started the year, and yeah, we started this series, I think the second week in January, started the year just going through some things that we as a church value as fundamental truths. And so we've looked at God, we looked at Jesus, looked at the Holy Spirit, looked at communion, looked at baptism. Uh, and it was supposed to be Verity this morning talking about the truth about the church. And she's not been well and she was ready to preach and wanted to do it. And I told her not to. No, I, I kind of encouraged her to save it for another date. And I found out from her what it is she wanted to say, because I kind of already had something burning in my heart to share about the church, and it's nothing like what she has to share. So she'll be speaking in one of what would have been my slots later on in the the month. Um, But just continue to pray for Joe and Vez and the family. When you've had pneumonia, you've got to recover from it properly before you um, get up and start again, because I'm told it can do um, a lot of damage if you think you're better and you keep going and that's true for a lot of us isn't it we've got to sometimes we we live in faith and we do great things and and say yes I'm well and I'm healed and all that sort of thing other times we've just got to go with your body and uh, and spend some time recuperating and so that's hopefully what Vez is doing although she says she'll be at a meeting this afternoon but anyway that's can't tire down Um, So the truth about the church. We talked last week about communion and it was nice to have that gap between talking about it and going away and reflecting and then coming back to it today and gave Paul an opportunity to think about um, bringing in the one loaf to symbolise that idea that we are one body and, uh, and that was all really good and it ties in well with the idea of thinking about who is the church, what is the church, what is the truth about the church because we all know as a church that the church is not a building and uh, we know that because we don't have a building so it can't be and we are the church great that the young people chose for us to sing we are the church Uh, build your kingdom here when we first got married in 1994 we moved straight away our first home together was in a new city we moved to Liverpool because that's where I was training to be a teacher from that year and we married in the summer started training in 94 and so we we found a church that we felt was right for us and we we ended up staying there for 10 years and I became uh, eventually became the worship pastor there and it was great time but in that period when we first went there we had a warehouse as a building and it was probably four stories including the basement And it was huge, absolutely huge, right close to the city centre, next to Chinatown. And um, year after year, people would say, this building is a great resource. But the truth was, we we used 20% of it, um, probably for 20% of the week. So I don't know what the maths is of how how much it was used. But there there was this whole floor of, of, of warehouse that was just empty and vacant and and not used so we had an auditorium that could seat uh, probably 400 at the most um, and that was used for a couple of hours and then there was another room where we had coffee uh, and in that room we sometimes had a midweek meeting uh, and that was it and there were some offices and so eventually it came to a point where we were looking at the mortgage say we I wasn't involved in any of this looking at the mortgage that we were paying on it and thought why don't we just sell the building and it was a radical step for some people who actually had contributed to the 
purchasing of that warehouse all those years ago, wasn't it? It wasn't an old church. It was quite a, a new church. And so our pastor, Steve Atkins, who some of us now know, um, took us through a series about what the church is and, and tried to, if you like, drum it into our heads that the church is not a building. But we, we know that, don't we? We know that the church is the people. We're educated Christians, but it's so easy to slip into a mentality of what the church is, whether we think it's the building. And, and some people talk about the land that we own and talk about when we've got a church, um, meaning when we've got a building, but really we've got a church. We are the church. And, um, and, and somebody once said to me uh, when they left something in this school hall um, by accident, they said, I left it at church. No, you didn't. You left it in the school building. And, and the other thing I was thinking about was, um, and this is, this is something that I'm guilty of too, is, is when, you, when you visit a church on a Sunday, you might ask, what kind of church is it? Or is it a good church? And you, what you're really asking, I think, most of the time is, what are the services like? But the church is you lot, these, these people in these seats. What is the church like? I don't know. I only met three of them. But you can say, oh, well, the worship's lively. Well, you've just told us about a few people who perform, perform they, they lead us into worship, um, for a couple of hours a week. What is the church like? I don't know. The, the, the service was interesting. But what is the church like? Is what are you lot like as people? What are you doing in the community? What are you doing in your world? How are you responding to the God that you have encountered? What is the church like? What was, what was it like at that church? Well, it was quite, um, it was quite quiet. Well, that, you know, you're talking about the meetings, not about the church herself, itself. Okay, so I just wanted to think a little bit. So what does God say about the church. Well, he says loads. He's got lots to say, which is why my talk and Verity's talk will be quite different, although complimentary, of course, because it's all from the Word of God. So we want to find out what God says. And um, probably earlier this last month, I was, I've been reading through the book of 1 Peter, and I'm still reading through it. It's only five chapters, and I've, I've been reading it for over a month. And, and sometimes I get stuck on a verse. Not stuck, but I, I just feel wrong moving on. And, and, and I, there's a side of me that I love ticking boxes. I love um, the tick list. I like achieve, achievement for me is a to-do list with ticks next to it. And um, sometimes I write things that I've already done just so I can tick them. And, and, and so for me, I like to read through the Bible. I like to do a chapter a day or whatever. But sometimes there's that one side of me that's saying, keep going because you're going you're gonna to have to restart. Or you're going to have to reset the schedule on this plan. Um, and then the other side of me, the, the the deeper side is saying, just stay, just linger, linger in this passage a little bit. And so um, one verse, 1 Peter 1 verse 1 is a, a verse that is just so easily skipped over to get to the meat because Peter is just introducing himself. In, in, the, in first century Greek, you would write a letter by beginning with who it's from, which I think is far more sensible than our way of saying from John at the bottom. Because if you receive a letter, that none of us do these days, but if you receive a letter on paper, you'd usually just go, to, if you didn't recognize the handwriting, you go straight to the back to see who it's from. So anyway, Peter says Peter, because um, he's saying who the letter is from. And that's normal. Uh, and then he says uh, an apostle of Christ, so he's giving his um, status uh, that, that he believes he has in Christ. And then he says, to God's elect exiles scattered. And, and it just 
struck me that there were three points there that although they applied very specifically to the church he was writing to, it applies to us too. And so they're my three points this morning, that we are elect, that we are exiles, and that we are scattered. And we're not elect exiles, well, we're not exiles or scattered in the way that Peter meant, but there are some truths in those three words that I just believe are right for us to consider this morning. I'll read the first two verses because um, they, they, they work together rather well. Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect exiles, scattered throughout the provinces of Pontus, Galatia, and Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, who have been chosen according to the foreknowledge of God the Father through the sanctifying work of the Spirit to be obedient to Jesus Christ and sprinkled with his blood. Grace and peace be yours in abundance. And that's my text this morning. But just looking at those three words, one at a time, that we are elect, exiles and scattered. So first of all, who is the church? What is the church? It's a bunch of people who are elect. Do you ever think of yourself as elect? You know, because sometimes we get so caught up in our problems that we, we think that our circumstances reflect who we are, but they don't. Our circumstances don't reflect who we are in Christ. They reflect what we're going through right now. And, um, and that's an important message. You are elect. You sometimes don't reflect on your circumstances. You reflect on um, your negative self-talk, sinful nature kind of thing that's going on in your head about who you feel you are, not who God's word says you are. You say, well, I'm, I'm just a sinner saved by grace. Well, but you're really focusing on the sinner side sometimes. And you just feel like, I, I know I'm, I'm sinful in Adam. I've inherited. I assume I'm preaching to the converted this morning. If you don't get this because you haven't accepted Jesus as your saviour, just soak up the atmosphere and enjoy the coffee and we'll talk about um, leading you to Jesus afterwards. But for, for the rest of us who get this, we kind of feel like, yeah, I've, I've inherited sinfulness in Adam and it's like a drug injected in my veins and, and, and I'm just kind of sinful. Like Romans 7 says, What's, what a mess I'm in. The thing I want to do, I don't do. And the thing I don't want to do, I do. And we just kind of don't feel like we're elect. We don't feel like we are children of the King of Kings sometimes. I want to tell you this morning, just sack your feelings Sack your feelings off. Get into the Word of God that teaches you, teaches you who you are in Christ. You are elect, whether you feel like it or not. Take a look at how David saw it in Psalm 139. He said, and there's, there's a whole great psalm. I just for sake of time picked two verses. My frame, my body was not hidden for you when I was hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, poetic, your eyes saw, look at this, your eyes saw my unformed body. Imagine that, seeing something that is unformed. It's like a great designer who sees something, or an architect who sees something even before they put pen to paper or mouse to cad, and they, they see something incredible before it is created. God saw you before the beginning of time. He, you're elect. He saw you. All the days ordained for me were written in your God's book before one of them came to be. Isn't that incredible this morning that there are days 
yet to be that are, that, that are ordained for you that you haven't seen yet and God's already written about them. Amazing. You've been chosen. You're elect. You're special. You're children of the King of Kings. In fact, the reason I read both those verses, not just the first one that has the three points in it, is because verse 2 elaborates on your electedness. You've been chosen according to the foreknowledge of the Father. See, God knew ahead of time. Before he even said, let there be light, he knew you. He knew about you. Even if you feel like you were born by accident because you were a surprise to your parents, God knew. He knew ahead of time. And he wrote stuff about you in his book before you were even thought of, before your parents were even thought of by their parents. Isn't that incredible? Amazing, by the foreknowledge of the Father, through the sanctifying work of the Spirit, and we're called to be obedient to Jesus through his sprinkled blood. Look at that, the full force of the Trinity involved in your electedness. Incredible. You might not feel like it this morning, but you are elected by the fullness of the Godhead and he loves you. He died for you. He thinks you're awesome. But I'm speaking to individuals and this talk is about the church. So that's you elected individually. But what about us as a group? What is it? What, what, what text do you think I'm going to use to talk about what is the purpose of the church? Maybe you're thinking because you know your Bibles well um, and you've been in church long enough, you're thinking John's going to pull out the Great Commission. He's going to say, that's what we're going to say is our purpose. Well, actually, I'm not. So um, I think there's something that we need to get right in our hearts, in our minds, in our spiritual life before we can really grasp taking hold of the Great Commission to go and make disciples Paul says that his God's intent was that now, through the church, see the relevance, we're talking about what is the purpose of the church, and I'm talking about you being elect. What are you elected for? What have you been selected to do as a church? What have we, as a church, got as our purpose? Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God. I, I, honestly, I could talk about these verses for too long, so I'm going to try and calm down. The manifold, that means many, it's just huge, okay? It's big. The big wisdom of God, I've, I've now undermined it. I'm going to go back to manifold. The manifold wisdom of God should be made known, what, to the world, to the people on the streets? No, first of all, to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. And that ties into this whole point of this series is we're doing about this belt of truth, which is part of spiritual armour, because there is a battle going on in the heavenlies. There are principalities and powers that we don't see with our physical eyes that we are doing warfare with. And our purpose, first and foremost, is to make known to them the manifold wisdom of God in sending his son Jesus to die for us to defeat the devil. We've heard this morning through the worship and through our prayers, the devil is defeated, he has lost, and we declare it to the heavenlies, and then we're kind of halfway ready for, it, for evangelism because we realise we're not going to reach the lost through, um, through memorising our testimony really well. I'd say prayer is more important than having your testimony off pat. 
because you're declaring to the heavenlies that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's not right that that person's life isn't glorifying God because that's what they were designed to do. I'm going to tell them about Jesus. Devil, you can't stop me. And I'm trusting the Holy Spirit to do the work in their life. That's his intent for the church. According to his eternal purpose, what's God's eternal purpose? Jesus was slain before the foundation of the world. No, he wasn't. He was slain 2,000 years ago. I know, but God, remember the same God that saw you before you were born, before he said, let there be light. He knew we were going to screw things up. He knew about Jesus. He, he was, Jesus is God. Jesus is the um, the embodiment of God, God the Son, part of the Trinity. Tricky one, I know, but I'm just going to move on because I'll tie myself in knots otherwise. God knew all that stuff. Jesus knew that he was going to be slain, and that's his eternal purpose. He knew from the beginning all of this stuff was going to kick off. He knew we'd be here today. He knew we'd be worshipping him. He is an awesome God. He has an eternal purpose, and it's our elect we are elected, it's our purpose as the church to declare that to the heavenly realms. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, I think so. I think it's amazing. I think it's pretty amazing. So we are, we're, his, we're his elect. The second thing is that we are exiles. Well, certainly the readers of this letter initially were exiles. See, at the time Peter was writing, um, the, the Christians had been scattered throughout the Roman provinces, those places that I read in verse 1, you can see them there. They're, they're places in what's now modern-day Turkey, uh, but they're, they're Roman-occupied areas, and um, the Christians were scattered because of persecution. Things weren't going well, and, and you find out in the next few chapters, Jesus, Peter is, is talking to the Christians about how to cope with persecution. They were, they were exiles. They were people in a foreign place. They weren't where they wanted to be. They weren't in their cozy Christian togetherness time. They were scattered. They were exiles. They were, they were, they'd run away from persecution. And it got me thinking about what it must feel like to be an exile. And for some reason, the, the guy in the Old Testament, Daniel, came to mind as well because he was an exile in the Old Testament. He wanted to live in Jerusalem, God's city at the time, and um, or God's city, just leave it there. And he was an exile in Babylon. And I just kind of thought about what it must feel like to be ripped away from your hometown that you've grown up in, that you believe is God's place for you to be, and brought into a, a godless culture, into a place where you just don't understand what's going on around you, and you're just forced to do certain things and, and, and gain new customs and practices and, and different cultures, and, and everything. the language is different, you're given a different name, the whole thing's weird, okay? Um, and I thought, well, four things that you might be thinking were you, you, feel, you feel cut off from home. And not everybody was exiled, so there'd be some people left behind, but you're cut off from them. There's no way of communicating with them, no mo mobile devices, no way of sending messages. You don't know how they're doing. You're cut off from home. You are unfamiliar with your surroundings, as I've said. It's a different town, different streets, different smells, different food, a different feeling about the place. It feels wrong. I don't feel at home here. Restricted in movement. The, 
depending on how severe your exile was, some exiles were able to stay around and build houses and uh, like Jeremiah tells the exiles in Babylon to, to settle because God's going to leave you here for a while and build houses and have children and, and marry and, and do all those things. But for, for other people in exile, it means limited in movement and, and waiting for rescue. And it kind of made me think, well, actually, we're exiles because we're citizens of heaven. We belong somewhere else, long-term speaking. And in a way, all of these things apply to us. We're cut off from home, in a way, because right now we can't see Jesus face to face, but one day we will. We should be unfamiliar with our surroundings. It's, it's good to understand the times, like in the Old Testament, the men of Issachar understood the times, but it's one thing to understand them, and it's another thing to assimilate the, th the things that are going on. And we know as we look at the news and we look at the, the different issues that are coming forward that, that politicians are bringing forward and, and, and different agendas that are coming through, you just have to read a newspaper and you can see that the world is moving further away from its Christian, the, the British Christian heritage. The Britain is moving away from those things. And it's, it's good to be uh, aware of those things, but it's not good to absorb the culture. There are certain places that we don't go. So when we think of the third point, the restricted in movement, there are certain things that we don't do because we don't belong here. We're citizens of heaven. We don't belong on this earth. There are certain places I won't go. There are certain physical places I won't go to. There are also certain places online that I won't go to because of my citizenship in heaven and I do not belong in those places. Those places might exist where there are people who need reaching for Jesus, but it's not my position at this point to go to those places. You know what I'm talking about because you've all got places that you need to limit yourself from. There might be certain limitations on relationships. There might be certain limitations on what you do and who you do those things with because they can lead to things that are ungodly and so you prepare your heart and you think about what are your limitations you don't take anything by chance when temptation comes your way you need already to have made your mind up before that temptation that if this happens this is what I'm going to do like Joseph ran away from Potiphar's wife I think he'd already decided if she tries it on with me I'm going to scarp her you, you, you answer the question before it is asked. I'm going to run away from that situation. I'm not going to, I'm not like the, like the second point, I'm not going to assimilate the world's values. And so when I fall into a situation that I wasn't expecting, I just go with the flow. I'm going to think about my life, my direction, the trajectory of my life, and I'm going to stay in that direction. And if anything tries to distract me from that, I'm prepared and I'm ready to run. So there are certain places that we won't go because we are exiles. We don't belong in certain places. I'll let you decide for yourself what that means in your life. And we're waiting for rescue. One day, Christ will return to take us home. We are exiles. We are strangers. We are aliens. We are not of this world. And I'm quite pleased, really. I mean, it's a beautiful world. It's an absolutely beautiful world. But it's absolutely nothing compared with the technical experience that is going to open up before us in the long term. 
And finally, the third point is that, um, well, as I said, the, the readers of this letter initially were people who were physically scattered. And, and sometimes we might feel like our lives are scattered. I'm all over the place. But actually, as Christians, we are scattered all around the world. Isn't that a good thing? We can't have... Just imagine if all the Christians had stayed in, in the Jerusalem area, uh, and that's all they'd been. Um, if people hadn't been scattered around. Sometimes scattering is good, and sometimes God uses a scattering process as his plan. And even in that scattering, it feels like this can't be God, but he's placing you somewhere that he wants you to be. You feel scattered. You are exactly where, unless you know you're in rebellion to God, you are exactly where he wants you to be. He can use you where you are. You didn't plan to be where you are necessarily. I didn't plan to live in Brixham, but I'm loving it, but I didn't expect this. I thought the Northwest was just going to be where we would uh, live and die. Not by any loyalty to it, it's just an assumption I'd made based on the, what looked like to be the trajectory of my life. And then here I am. I didn't expect this, but God scatters us sometimes. And that was a pleasant scattering, but some of us are moved in ways that we didn't want to be moved. But sometimes God's plan is in it, and he's put you there to reach the people around you, to help them, to influence them, to lead them to Christ. You are where you are for a purpose. Assume that you are where you're supposed to be unless God moves you on, and serve him where you are. Whether it's a desert or whether it's a flourishing valley, serve him where you are. There's always some weeds to pull up. There's always something you can do and, uh, and just serve him. You're where you're meant to be because probably there's no one else there in the kingdom and that's where you're meant to be. So scattering's often a good thing even though it doesn't feel good. Way back in, well, not that way back, back in Acts 8, it says that on, on that day, that's the day where Stephen has just been stoned and, um, and, and the, the verse before was just saying how... Saul slash Paul um, was approving of, of all of that sort of stuff. So the Christians are being persecuted. Um, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered, another scattering, throughout Judea and Samaria. Godly men buried Stephen and, born, and mourned deeply for him. But Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Remember, last week I said, uh, did you know you're a preacher? And you looked blankly at me. And, uh, and I said, well, because when we take communion, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And it's the same word, proclaim and preach. Uh, and here, look, the apostles somehow managed to remain, but everyone else was scattered and preached. So who are the preachers now? Is it the apostles is it the people with the dog collars or the, or the position in church? No, people were scattered and preached wherever they went. And, and if it wasn't for that scattering, the gospel wouldn't have been spread the way it was. You're scattered. You're where you're supposed to be for a reason. So we've said that we are elect, we are exiles, and we are scattered. You should feel 10 foot tall. Because you're elect, you're God's child, God's son, God's daughter. You should know that you don't belong here. Your home is in heaven. And what a home. I haven't seen it yet, but it's awesome. The Bible says so. 
and you should know that you are scattered. So is that it? Is that all I've got to say? Sadly, no, and the coffee's ready, so it won't take long. Apparently, there's a book called A Brief History of Time, and apparently it's not actually that brief. I've managed to get it down to one slide, okay? So here's my brief history of time. Number one, God brought earth into being. Number two, he revealed himself to Israel. Number three, he sent his son to save us all. Number four, his followers are the church. And there we are. What are we talking about? We're talking about the truth about the church. Even before he started point one, he knew about the church. And people have seen, scholars kind of look through the Old Testament and see hints and foreshadows of the church before the church was born. And uh, we don't have time to talk about that either right now. His followers of the church. Jesus said he will build his church. So even in that Acts chapter 8 where it said Paul started to, or Saul started to destroy the church, really sounds quite frightening. Saul began to destroy the church. But actually, in the light of Jesus' words, Paul's actions are nothing. Jesus' words are, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. And that's what the Bible says about the church. We're still working through history of time and and we're kind of living in point five um, and six. Six, nothing, even hell, can stop the church. He will come again for his church. In 1 Thessalonians 4, I can't say that quickly, 4.17, we will be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. That's we, the church. And so we will be with the Lord forever. Point eight, we will reign forever with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. And finally, point nine, meanwhile, the church is the hope of the world. We are not some holy huddle rocking in the corner in fetal position hoping Jesus will come back soon because the world's getting so dark. We are the light of the world. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world, but he also said it about his disciples. You are the light of the world. And um, Bill Hybels was the first person, I think, to, to, to coin this phrase, the local church is the hope of the world. And you people have been busy. You've been doing great things. You already are the hope of the world. Some of you are street pastors. Some of you work in the the night shelters for the homeless around Torbay. Some of you have been doing amazing things. Some of you still sponsor our friend Victor Pallet in India. Others sponsor John Green, who is a missionary who went out from this place. Some of us are starting more and more. There are more and more people in the in the church starting to sponsor a compassion child. We write to our compassion child who's only seven and his mum writes a note as well because he he mostly draws us pictures um, of cars and flowers and things. Um, And his mum writes greetings in the name of Jesus and, and, and thanking us for our sponsorship but not so much as just I'm praying for you wow this is this is woman in Rwanda praying for me so she's the light in that situation but the 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 project in Rwanda where um little Patrick's growing up it's bringing Jesus to those children that wouldn't necessarily otherwise hear about him there is hope in the church there is hope resonating from the church there are other things that many of us do to be the light of Jesus in the world. You are the hope. And he is coming back. With a, we're, we're like a body, a loaf. We're also the bride of Christ. He's coming back for us. 
Another project locally that's um, opening, reopening is The Haven. How many people know about The Haven in Torbay? Good, okay, well. Um, I, we, if you're on email, on the church email list, you should have had a letter about a meeting where that's reopening. Um, the, the meeting's next Sunday, um, Sunday afternoon. Karen's got all the details over there with the coffee. Um, one of the, I noticed one of the aims, at the top of the letter, it gives the three aims of the charity, um, and it's about helping the needy, helping the homeless, helping people who need it the most in Torbay, um, and providing a, a resource, a physical building and a resource that people can come to. Um, they're thinking of reopening that um, just for one day a week, just to get things going. Um, but I noticed something that I didn't realise, and it's bad that I didn't realise it, I think, a poor reflection. One of the aims of that charity is to further the Christian faith. It's a Christian charity. And, and so actually there's an opportunity again for us to get into that and make sure that we are able to be a strong Christian influence on the development and redevelopment of that charity. So if you want to, everyone's invited to that meeting actually next week. It's at Paynton Parish Church um, next next Sunday afternoon. But if you want more details about that or you haven't received the letter, see Karen. Because that's all part of what we're supposed to be doing as a church. We're so loved by God. He looks at his church and he sees us in such a way that you don't see yourselves because we're so aware of our failings, our faults, and we're so aware of the world around us. But God just sees spotless people cleansed by the blood of Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit to do great works in this town, to declare to the heavenlies that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue confess, confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. So we might as well start now. One day, one day, even those people who hurl abuse at you and persecute you because you do things for Jesus or you wear a stupid cap that says God is able. Sorry, William, it's not stupid. But that's how some people might refer to it. Who's that idiot wearing a cap that says God is able? I commend William for his outward faith. All those people who laugh at you and, and some of the friends that I met perhaps back in my last town as well, who used to rib me for my Christian faith, one day they're going to have to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. And if, if you didn't stand up for what you believed in and they look across at you somehow or in their mind, they think, if they'd have told me, at least I'd have known what I was rejecting. God just looks at us and sees a beautiful bride, a body, and he sees an army. He sees an army protected by an army of angels. This whole series about the belt of truth is, is just been one facet of this getting ourselves battle ready. It's not a battle of the flesh. It's not a battle of the mind. It's a battle in the spiritual realms where we know the truth and we speak the truth to one another. Let's pray. Let's pray. I just said we speak the truth to one another, but also to those around us. We thank you, Lord, that the church is mighty in you, that you will build your church, that you are building your church, that despite what newspapers report and what other um, statistics report, the church is actually 
growing at a phenomenal rate. And we thank you that you are saving people left, right, and center. And we thank you that you want to do that in this, in this town too. We just pray for revival. We pray for, um, for, for a bringing to life of souls, a bringing to life of people, a bringing to life of your church, that we would stand and know who we are in Christ. We would declare boldly as we are filled by your Holy Spirit to do so. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit brixham.church.